Hello and welcome back to RHP Market Talk. I'm Natalie Pika here today with my partner and RHP Portfolio Manager, Glenn Royal. And we are super excited to introduce today the newest member of our team, Jason Strzeski. Jason recently graduated from Michigan State University and joins our team as an investment analyst. We are excited to have him as part of our team and welcome him to Texas. Jason, glad to have you here today. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, team. Glad to be with y'all here. <laughs> Good use of y'all. <laughs> so let's just get started with today's conversation. Um, I know we had talked about this quite a bit in our last podcast, but you know, it just keeps coming up and up and up. So we're going to come back to inflation. Um, it's dominating the headlines. Uh, we know that year-over-year comparisons are going to appear larger for a host of economic indicators in coming months, and inflation metrics are super um, under scrutiny right now. And I think it'd be a good idea if we could ex explain to listeners sort of the base effect and how that impacts what they might be hearing in the media and what we're thinking about markets going forward. So, Glenn, how, how do you look at what we're talking about when we, we look at these inflation numbers that are coming out and that base effect? Yeah. Hi, Natalie. Good to see you again. Glad to be here. Uh, great question. And to us, the, the base effect is basically a very low hurdle bar. We're, we're, last year, we plummeted down to very low historical rates and inflation, all types of areas. Right. And so when you have that artificially low number that we're now growing forecast off of, you've got that base effect that's in there that's perhaps skewing this big growth rate. So we're aware of that change, and we're trying to kind of factor that in. But I, I tell you what's really fascinating, because the, the topics this year, if I have a theme about 2021, it's inflation, rates, and taxes across the board. What we're seeing today, back in March, on March 31st, the 10-year Treasury, as you know, I'm a big fan of watching the 10-year Treasury. That's for, right, right. telltale of all things that happen in the market. The 10-year Treasury... Uh, reached a high of 1.74%. That was due to that big inflation scare. We, we rocketed up from you know seven-tenths of percent to, to 1.74. Today, the 10-year has actually, yields have dropped and declined to 1.55%. Wow. That's a shock to see rates mm -hmm. come down that low. So what it's telling us is that the market is starting to perhaps believe the, the Federal Reserve when they say that inflation is just transitory. We are going to expect to see the, the next few months of a spike off that base effect. Right, right. We know that that's coming, but we're looking beyond that. So towards, you know, let's get us another quarter behind us and then inflation ought to start uh, adjusting out to more normal levels. Right. It's good to hear you say that the market's beginning to believe the Fed because there's been a lot of news out there that market didn't believe the Fed, you know, right. and what they were saying. So well, they're, they're buying into it with, with bond yields coming down. That, that's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing. Yeah. So I know uh, that part of that inflation scare has been about the worry and the significant debt that the U.S. is taking on. What are your thoughts on the debt to GDP ratios and how does the U.S. compare to other developed countries? Um, and does that higher debt necessarily correlate to higher inflation? Ah, you know, you're getting in a little bit of a monetary, modern monetary theory, right? <laughs> MMT, right? That's that whole new deal. And, and really the last 20 years or 30 years, it's all been about, you know, you, debt is a boogeyman and it's going to cause inflation, right. et cetera. Yep. 
And we've, we've baked that into our cake, our philosophy of investing in, in politics and everything. But I look at Japan, and Japan has been in a disinflationary spiral for the last 20-plus years, uh, since the new 1990. Their debt-to-GDP ratio is 200% of their GDP. And they're just stagnant growth. They can't anything going. Now, what are the reasons that demographics, all the various reasons, technology, gig economy, you name it. But I think in Japan, it's primarily the demographics that causes that. Uh, what we're seeing here uh, in the U.S. is our debt to GDP growth has increased. Uh, it was, uh, uh, when we look at it, as a percentage of our GDP government debt in 2020 was 80.5%. We've been staying around that 70 to 80% the last you know, number of years since the financial crisis of 08. That's spiking up to 105% in 2021, and it's expected to kind of hang out there. Uh, so at 105% debt to GDP ratio, we think that's manageable. You know, we don't see that as something that's gonna drive a lot of inflation at this point. Um, more than anything, like you saw the tax cuts in, in uh, 17, you had the big, uh, not 17, you had the last tax cuts under the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. we, we saw the deficit increase of a trillion dollars as a result of corporations paying less taxes. Right. But what we saw a little bit later is that trillion dollar hit started to uh, recover and taxes were starting to come back on the come of the increased investments that we expected from lower taxes. And that's kind of what we expect here, is you're going to get that little spike in debt to GDP as the government keeps issuing debt and Treasury. Uh, but the growth offset, this reflation of this economy, is going to increase the revenue, tax revenue, to the government that they're able to maintain the debt levels we're at. So over time, the expectation is this great jobs act, this new uh, administration bill, will pay for itself, possibly. I do know, uh, Goldman Sachs did a report, if uh, we look at the full, this, the taxes theme, um, GDP growth was, uh, well, growth was expected to be about 12% uh, without any tax increase at all, what we're looking at right now. If I go for the full Biden tax cut, or uh, tax increases, it's going to cut down to half, about 6% growth. So if I go from 12% to 6% growth, markets are going to be impacted by that. Mm. We just know that. But there's negotiations going on. You're seeing it every day. McConnell's talking about the, the back and forth that we're seeing. So we think there'll be an infrastructure program, which gives second leg to this market rally we're in. But that probably the negotiation takes it from 12% down to 9% growth. Mm, well, that's, okay. that's a little bit more manageable. Yeah, right. we may hit a little bit of hickey and pause on that, but that's a bit more manageable. I'm not real concerned about the deficit at this moment. The market will tell us, again, the 10-year is not concerned either. If the 10-year were to start to spike north of inflation, you know, where, where we've had this negative break-even rates where inflation's below, I mean, rates are below inflation, mainly because the Fed's holding it there. If that were to reverse, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, we got positive real rates, then that would be a telltale that we're struggling here. So I, I just don't see it right now. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. So how, how does that impact your, your forward-looking expectations for U.S. markets versus international markets? Well, we still favor stocks over bonds. And within the stock component, we favor cyclical growth assets over you know, traditional. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that leads us more still to the story that the two favored places right now are the U.S. because of we're recovering from with the COVID, the vaccination rollout, the opening of our economy. We're, you know, it's a shock to see how far we've advanced in the last three months. So that reopening uh, is, is, I think, the biggest driver that, that, that's going to help the U.S. Now, Western Europe, not so much Eastern, but the Western side, we kind of like the U.K. because we're starting to see that part of the, uh, the same recovery stance. And they've just gone through Brexit and all these deals, and they're coming out of. So they've been depressed as a result of those things. But as they come out, it's starting to look pretty exciting in that space. So uh, we have emerging markets as well. And that's a space where we were a little bit more optimistic on. We've talked about this before, and we've kind of toned back our optimism. We have a foothold there. We think EM can do market returns. But because of the uneven rollout of the vaccines mm -hmm. and different issues, EM may struggle a little bit. So it'll do okay, but not perhaps the great returns we, we thought we might have gotten earlier because okay. you still have lingering effects of COVID and, and vaccination schedules. Right. Yeah. 2021 is still going to be a uh, recovery from the virus year, certainly. And it's clear that in 2021, we have seen a huge surge in the fear of missing out mentality, the FOMO mentality that people talk about. And I know we could talk all day about fundamental investing versus speculative and momentum investing. Uh, but no other stock seems to embody this FOMO mentality than Bitcoin. And Jason's been following this Bitcoin story for us. So, Jason, can you give us some thoughts on on Bitcoin and and uh, these currencies and the sure. recent rise in returns? Sure. Thanks, Natalie. Um, our current stance at RHP, uh, we're a little concerned with Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, we're starting to see retail jump from you know, the GameStop and AMC. They're starting to pile into crypto. Uh, volatility's been down. The market's been much more flat as of recent as we're waiting for earnings to come in and infrastructure, as Glenn mentioned before. Um, so we have these retail investors with the glut of money in the market. They're just looking for something. Mm -hmm. And to them, this is that next step. And it's, it's hard to deny that, you know, crypto has strong potential, strong uh, opportunity in the market. But at this point, um, it's still very early stages. So, yes, it's been around, you know, 10 plus years. But with regulatory issues, for example, the, the SEC has come out mentioning to financial firms where you can't have these assets in a portfolio unless we have a strong investment case to bring them in and can back that up fully. And we're not really confident with them at this at this point. So we're just taking kind of a, a backseat and we're watching them. We know that they provide a lot of value, but we don't really see them as a lot of the retail and that space sees them as a commodity or as something because we see commodities, something that actually provides value and usability in the market, such as your metals and whatnot. And crypto is starting to come out more and more with that usability, with other companies adopting as far as allowing for transactions, and then also companies bringing it in just to put it on their balance sheets. The, the big thing there, we see that as just as companies jumping in to say they were a part and they were early movers at this, this venture. So we see the cryptos 
very similar to like the Facebook IPO and other bubble-like circumstances in the past where, yes, there's potential, but we just don't know. We don't have the verification. We don't have the consistency. We're starting to get more metrics where in previous years, there was a lot more legal activity associated with the cryptocurrencies and you've had hack attempts, you've had movements throughout history moving away from Silk Road, and then your follow-up circumstances, 2017 and, and whatnot. But there's just a lot that's truly unknown about it to the market and no real consistency. Glenn and I have talked in depth about this because this is just blaring in the news and when the market's looking for content, looking for something that's gonna be at the forefront. And when you have a I won't call it a commodity, I won't call it a stock. When you have a new technology at the forefront that's exploding in price, it's going to grab market attention. Right. So, and if I look at it too, is, is again, we always talk about we're fundamental investors. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to, to do fundamental research on Bitcoin. Exactly. What's it worth? Exactly. What's it really worth? What can we use it for? There's no widespread adoptability. And I was starting again get into. Glenn and I, have we talked, there will be a U.S. currency. We saw China just come out with a U.S. currency to try and, or pardon me, China come out with a currency to try and undermine the U.S. currency. And we do see that coming. There's just a lot of legislature and a lot of regulatory agencies that need to come in and make some sort of consistency to that before we can truly buy in ourselves. Right. Right. And I would like to add to, to Jason's comments, there are ways to play crypto today tertiary trades, secondary Mm -hmm. trades, and we do that through some investments that facilitate the transaction of crypto exchange. So we have some payment processors in the portfolio that allow you to use crypto as a a means of exchange. So we're comfortable with that. It's a very small part of their business, but they're early adopters, as Jason said, and we we like having that in the portfolio. But this is something that, um, because of the volatility around crypto, just all over the map. You know, yeah. we started last year, it was down 20, 30%, then it spiked up 300%. A few years ago, it was $10,000, now it's 60. That's not something the SEC, I think, is that keen on and in inserting that much volatility in individual investors' portfolios. So they want to make sure that we have done our due diligence and we have a very strong investment case and we have the documentation on that why we're making that. To Jason's point, we're not comfortable yet. Right. We're watching it. Right. We understand it. We see where it's going. We play these tertiary trades, but we're, we're keenly aware of it, and more will, you know, more to come on that. Okay. Well, thank you both. Um, uh, as we wrap up today, do you have any other comments or thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah. You know, look, this economy is waking up. We are on fire. Things are going. This morning, we had retail sales that just blew us out of the water. You had a number of data points that's just showing that better than expected. And the great surprise is yields are coming down. You got all that great growth and bond yields come down. So this market is setting up. uh, We've seen this sideways, this kind of sideways, quiet market. Volumes really dried up. People, and I think that's because it's much more fun to go to the beach than it is to sit around a computer trade day trading all day. <laughs> you know, I don't blame them, right? But um, that that whole movement, I think, just is going to uh, move to where this is perhaps... Now, if I can't keep data as strong as today, that's going to make the summer a little more exciting than I thought. Before this morning, I was expecting kind of a snoozer summer. I figured everybody would be out. We kind of had a sideways marching 
uh, uh, market, but the earnings would continue to grow. And what that was going to enable is us to grow into these valuations mm -hmm. that everyone's so concerned about. Uh, board valuations right now, future earnings, you know, you're, you're taking multiples from 20, 29 times earnings down to 20. So forward expectations are pretty good. And I think that that can continue to give legs to this market. So right now I'm seeing things happen that I hadn't seen in my career. I'm seeing numbers that are happening that I hadn't seen in my career. I see a government that is making financial conditions and very easy and accommodative. And I don't see the bond market saying it's too much. I'm in, I'm long. Wow. All right. Well, thank you guys very, very much. Exciting stuff today. Uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to Royal Harbor Partners Market Talk. Our team wants you to feel confident about your financial future. We are devoted to our relationships with multi-generational families for the creation of successful legacies. Through our one-on-one -on -one conversations, we can help you discover a clear path forward for your personal wealth management and investment journey. Call us today or visit our website, royalharborpartners.com to start your conversation. Royal Harbor Partners is a registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed by Royal Harbor Partners on this show are their own. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and and unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.